Hi everybody, welcome to Wrong Term Memory. It is me, Jack, and we've been off the air for a couple of weeks, taking what we think is a well-deserved break over Christmas, but um, we decided to do a Christmas film in inverted commas, Colin, so um, looking forward to this one. Yeah, very much so. Um, it was kind of, as with a lot of the things on this particular pod, it's your, it was your brainchild you caught with this one, and um, I, when you, when you suggested the name of the film to me, I thought, Ah, oh, okay. Um, and in true Colin style, um, you texted me last night to remind me that this was happening today. Uh-huh. Um, I was already out last night. Um, I got home in the back of midnight, planned to watch it, didn't. So I've literally just finished it half an hour ago. And <laughs> I had a rare old time watching it. It was lovely. <laughs> yeah, and as has become pretty standard when we do our movie reviews here in Wrong Term Memory, we get Hugh involved. How are you, Shuggy? You all right, mate? Yeah, I'm all right, guys. Thanks very much for, for having me back on. Um, oh, I love this film. I can't wait to talk about it, honestly. I absolutely love this movie. Well, yeah, I'll just let the listeners behind the curtain a little bit. I literally passed over to you, Hugh. I said, look, why don't you come on and you you pick a film this time. Mm-hmm. You pick a film because I put you through Snatch, um, <laughs> one of my favourites. And oh. when you came back to me with this... I thought, right, okay, I, I do remember it, but it's been 20, 25 years since <laughs> I last watched it. And what film is it, and, and why did you pick it? Yeah, so the film we're going to talk about is uh, John Hughes' Planes, Trains and Automobiles from 1987. Um, now, I picked this film because I was just gearing up for my sort of Christmas movie marathon that I do with the kids every year. And this is the film we always start with because... It's not really a Christmas film, but it but it is a Christmas film. It's it's a Thanksgiving movie that kind of you know. So you get the very end of Thanksgiving, leading you into the Christmas uh, festive period, and we just we watch it every year at the same time. So just like it was just the perfect opportunity. Um, and as you guys know, I do a couple of other podcasts, and I, I will never ever get a chance to cover this film in my other podcasts. So I jumped at the opportunity to shoehorn it into yours. So thank you. Ah, uh, not a problem, Colin. When was the last time you watched this? Had you seen it before? Oh yeah, I'd certainly seen it before. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've actually got quite a, I've actually got quite a distinct memory of watching it. I remember watching it with my uncle Robert, um, and this would easily have been twenty years ago, probably no more than that. I'm thirty nine. I reckon twenty five years ago, similar to you, Jack. And I remember watching it on a Saturday night. It was on the television after match of the day on a Saturday night, and I watched it with my uncle. Um, and really, really liked it. And I think it was my introduction to John Candy, actually. I don't think I'd seen any other John Candy films up until that point. Then I went away and saw Uncle Bark, Cool Runnings, a few other bits and pieces. Um, I'm sure we'll talk a fair bit about him as the as the show goes on. Um, but yeah, I had happy memories of it, but it wasn't a film that I was in a rush to see again. It was a film that I very much put into a box of, saw it, enjoyed it, it was nice. There's a thousand other films that I want to see, so why would I go back to that? Obviously, the show and Hugh has made me go back to it. And like I said earlier, I'm really glad that he did. It was just like a, a, it was just a slap in the face of loveliness, really, with a bit yeah. of comedy, a bit of slapstick built in, and a really nice message, I think, throughout, actually. And a wee bit of, I don't want to say a twist at the end, but a wee bit at the end that just makes you go, oh. So it was, it had it all, really. And I think I probably appreciated it more now than I did back then as well. Yeah, I was about to say that. I definitely appreciated it more. I only watched it last night. I definitely appreciate it more this time than 25 years ago. And I think it's because of the the situation that they find themselves in, Hugh, where 
no technology back in the day, traveling, things, plans go wrong, things go awry. Mm-hmm. It was probably something that as a maybe 13, 14 year old, that you probably don't, you can't empathize with. And I suppose empathy is like kind of like one of the themes of the, the movie, actually, you know, like just putting yeah. yourself in somebody else's shoes. So let's let's just start from the beginning. It gets right into it. And the, the opening scene... I think John Hughes has used this a few times in like the Breakfast Club and stuff like that. Just like sort of silence, but not quite silence. There's like people moving about. There's paper getting ruffled as Steve Martin's in so, some sort of advertising meeting, and it just hits you right in the face right away. He opens his ticket and it says he needs to be somewhere by six o'clock to get a flight set up there and then. No fat, right into it. Um, Ninety minute runtime as well, which I love. Um, yes. And it's very 80s and it's very John Hughes. <laughs> Let, let's be perfectly honest with you. I think mm-hmm. he was good at that. And that's because, well, how long did, like, let, let's do a little bit of the pre production stuff there. So, how did this film come about? Well, I mean, John Hughes had kind of like, he'd experienced a similar trip to this, obviously not with the insane extremes that we get in this film, but he said that himself that he'd experienced a sort of similar delay and it took him several days to get home. And it was when he was doing that, he kind of, I think he decided this would, this is just a good idea for a film, you know? And I think he said something that took him like two days to write the, the original or like the, the first run through of this. And normally he said it takes him like, it could take him up to like three or four weeks to even get like an outline done for something. But he said he just sat down and it just all spilled out of him in one go. Um, and, and I've seen some of the, the, like the early scripts and stuff. It It's remarkable how much, like, how, how succinct it is because, a lot of the, this, the film's first cut was over three hours long and they kind of whittle it down and whittle it down into this perfect 90 minute nugget of just comedy gold. And, and you guys both hit the nail in the head there. It's, there's, you know, comedy and tragedy are, are kind of the same thing. And, you know, that's that's kind of a, a, well, a, a well-worn trope and it is very true. Um, but this film it, it sort of takes that and runs with it because it's, hist- it's hilarious. This film has me laughing from start to finish. Um, but, like the reason it works so much is because both of those characters are so well drawn by John Hughes and you know he is such a talent I mean I think his directors go like he gets forgotten about a bit I think because he is of the 80s you know and it's not trendy or cool to think about John Hughes movies like yeah you know but you look at his filmography like 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, uh, Ferris Bueller, Uncle Buck like that run is insane and and it's always surprises me that he just kind of disappeared a little bit you know in the sort of mid 90s he, he took his foot off the pedal but i i think that the real joy of this film is seeing a director and a writer at the top of his game teaming up with arguably the two greatest comedy actors of the 80s i mean you'd be hard pressed to find many that you know that in steve martin and john candy shoes uh but really just it's, it's, it's a remarkable piece of work colin like i like I said, it gets right into it. Now, maybe, like, because I don't hold this film so close to my heart as you does, I could, you could maybe say that this is basically an extended Saturday Night Live skit or something, you know? It's like, it could conceivably be about five minutes long, like, just wackiness, but... It kind of blew my mind when you said that this was neat. This was cut down from three hours. And we spoke about Die Hard recently and having no fat. Is that a skill in itself then to get it down to that? Or am I am I throwing too much shade at it by saying it could have been a wacky five minute skit? I think um, 
yeah, I think it certainly could have been if you look if you break it down to catastrophe, 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 bang, 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 then yeah, you could do that in five minutes. Um, but you would lose a lot of the kind of pathos of it, I think, and the the real character building and the, the stuff that makes it important because if you just want the, the crash bang wallop, the slapstick, then you could watch Mr. Bean put a turkey in his head, couldn't you? At this time of year and it would be really sort of thanks really to fantastic stuff, but yeah. <laughs> I know you I know you love that still. <laughs> I love Mr. Um, Bean but yeah, I think it's the it's the actors and I think Steve Martin in particular for me, um he's only forty two when he filmed this. Right. And he's seventy eight or something now and he just looks the exact same. Right. And one of the things that I've always liked about Steve Martin is and I don't know if he gets enough credit for it, is the acting he does with his face at times and the facial expressions he's capable of pulling and the eyes that he makes. You get all of them in this film. You get frustration, you get rage, you get anger, you get sadness, you get disappointment. And then you, towards the end, you start to get a little bit of affectionness and a little bit of love and stuff like that from him. And a lot of it is through the eyes and the face. Um, in terms of how they... In terms of how they got it down from three and a bit hours down to 90 minutes, that is a fantastic bit of editing. And I'm really surprised that all these years sit on, nothing's ever appeared in terms of like a director's cut or all the stuff that's sitting on the cutting room floor because I bet there's absolute gold out there somewhere of scenes that weren't used because I know that the scene at the end where Steve Martin's on the train and he starts putting together the backstory and realising about the wife... There's got, one we'll we'll get there, but I've got my mass. I've got massive issues with that scene in particular. Well, one of the bits in that scene is Steve Martin laughing, thinking about his friend that he's met, and he, and he laughed to himself. And well, that laugh isn't part of the film. They basically he filmed bits. They kept the camera running, and Steve Martin was just going about his life, talking, laughing, etc. And they found this bit of him laughing and thought that's perfect, and used it for the film. But it wasn't an acted out scene or anything. It was just Steve Martin being Steve Martin. Yeah. We're right at the end already, but that was my least favourite part of the whole movie was that specific laugh at that point. <laughs> and we'll get to why later on. Okay. But this is the setups, the set the setups there, Hugh. Uh, Kevin Bacon, small cameo at the beginning. Um, Steve Martin's wacky running. What, what do you think of that? It's like, whoa, when he's just like running along. He does it a lot of these films back then. Um, a place for it back in 1987. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen any of Steve Martin's Saturday Night Live stuff? And, yeah, know, I've seen bits and bobs of it on YouTube. Yeah. He's such a physical performer. You know, it's, it's all part of the charm of that guy. Colin, you said that, you know, he looks the same age now as he did then. And you're right, but he also looked the same age when he was in his early 20s. I mean, he's had silver hair <laughs> like pretty much his entire life. It's mad, isn't it? He's always looked like that. Um, that was a depressing fact there when you said he's 42. I, I turned 42 later this month. That's uh, that's grim. I am now the same age as Neil Page. Oh, God, that, I need to rethink my life. Um, yeah, we came to the realisation recently that Jack and I at our age now are the same age as David Brent was in the office, and that was a horrible <laughs> as well, so it's not great. Uh, dear, time stocks is all, gents, stocks is all. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the opening seems a lot of fun, isn't it? And the, the Kevin Bacon stuff, apparently, I think Kevin Bacon had just starred, or he was filming like John Hughes' next movie, which is why he was available to him, so that's why it's such like a small comedy role. Um and and also, I just want to touch on something you mentioned there, because I think it's true what you said there, Collins, right? Cutting this down from three hours to 90 minutes is, is insane to me, you know? And in terms of the things that are, that, that are on the cutting room floor, 
people have been looking for that stuff for about well, since the film's been released and yeah. like they can't find it they don't know where it is it'll be in some like warehouse somewhere by, by this point it'll almost certainly be useless you know it'll have like, completely uh, disintegrated but that's heartbreaking because there's, uh, there's an hour and a half worth of material there that you know that i'd love to sit and watch on a blu-ray someday um and Michael McKean, who shows up in this film like, a little bit later as the uh, the traffic cop who pulls them over, he gets like third or fourth billing in this movie. And he's in it for no more than maybe six minutes. And that's because he had an entire subplot like where they go to jail briefly and you know he deals with them at the desk. And it, it's mad to me when you, when you think about how, how lean this is. It, it, it's effectively just a two-hander, isn't it? Yeah, it almost is just that. The, the Kevin Bacon cameo at the start threw me because... Back when I saw this the first time, I wouldn't have known who Kevin Bacon was. <laughs> and when I when it came up, I thought, oh my God, that's Kevin Bacon. There's nobody to know about this. And I quickly Googled it and the whole world knew about it already. Um, but there's a nice little subtext in that where there's a scene later on when, when they're both in bed together in the motel. And um, there's, there's the flashback scenes between the two of them and Steve Martin's wife back at home. Steve Martin's wife is watching the movie that he made, that Kevin Bacon made at the same time as this with That's John right. Hughes. <laughs> it's quite nice. And there's a there's a train of thought that is the same character. But I think that's a bit deep for playing strings about what But um, that's what happens when you start Googling things. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned... It's not really that flashback. It's just what, what's happening at the time. Because, like I said, the flashback stuff kind of... Can you tell it's boiling my piss? <laughs> like, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Right, so... Where, where, where do we go from here? Well, what is the very basic story of this movie for anybody that's not watched it, Shug? The very basic um, concept. Yeah, at its heart. Um, so Steve Martin plays Neil Page, who is an advertising executive. And at the start of the film, he's in New York. He's pitching to his boss, um, you know, some new posters. And he has to make this flight home at six o'clock, like you said, for yeah, to get back to Chicago. Now, on his way, he, uh, on his way to the airport, um, he, he loses a taxi race to Kevin Bacon. And, you know, of course he would. It's Kevin Bacon. Um, he trips over a giant trunk in the middle of the street, which de- de- derails him further and stops him getting the next taxi. Um, and then eventually uh, he, he gets to the airport and he gets his flight delayed a little bit. But then that flight itself as well is delayed. And then the rest of the film is just him and uh, the magnificent John Candy as Del Griffith traveling across America, trying to make it home in time for Thanksgiving um, as they both threaten at any moment to kill each other with their incompetence and rage uh, throughout the entire film. And honestly, the, 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 the joy of this film for me is that both Steve Martin and John Candy in this are both wonderfully horrible bastards in their own way you know it's like neil page is he's a good man he's a decent man but we're only seeing him at push to the very end of his rope you know like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong so we're seeing neil page on his worst day so of course he comes across as a bit of an asshole but in his quieter moments like when he's um he is quite kind to Dell, or as kind as i would be i think in that situation and as forgiving as i would be with all the stuff that goes on um, and then Dell as well. He's he's a he's a he's a lovely man at his heart. But oh my God, could you imagine spending like any more than an hour in his company? You you would you would be trying to kill him quite quite quickly, I would think. But it's the charm of John Candy and the charm of uh, of Steve Martin that kind of that, that raise them above just being funny caricatures and make them feel like real people that you're traveling with, even though the situations they get into are so cartoonish and outlandish that it's it's madness. The there's always um, 
um, casting issues, or you always hear about casting decisions that were made. Now, again, this is one that you just cannot see it not being Steve Martin and John Candy. It almost feels like the script was was written f- for them to play the sort of the version of themselves that everybody knew in the eighties. You know, mm-hmm. John Candy played, let's be honest, the the fat man. Like that was a role. But in this film, it's not the same as like uh, Farley, who plays the wacky fat guy who his shirt's too tight and he's fawn about being a fat guy. John Candy's weight has never brought up in this film for a start. He's never got slagged for being fat. I'm definitely more of a Neil than Adele. Um, if I was in his situation, I would be the exact same. I would say, I don't want to speak to anybody on a plane. I don't want to share a taxi with you. I, I don't want that sort of stuff. I don't want it because I'm having a kind of a time. What, I, I know I know what you are, Colin. You, you're... And Neil as well. I think are we all Neils? Is that what we're saying here? I, I would hope that I was a Neil. To be honest, if anyone thinks that I'm a Dell, well then I'm I'm in trouble, <laughs> lads. To be honest, I'm in trouble. What were you calling? You're a Neil, hundred percent. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm very much a Neil. Yeah, I'm the Neil that Neil was based on. I think somehow. <laughs> but, um, yeah, hundred percent. I don't want people to talk to me when they serve me in shops, never when they sit next to me in planes. So yeah, yeah, good stuff. So. The Dell Dell is an Dell is a bit of an asshole, yes, but there is a, a, a like you says an underlying kindness you can kind of tell yeah. that he's he's sort of, he doesn't realise that he stole the taxi and things like that, and he's offering them food and he's offering new food and things like that. There's a, there is a kindness to him, and he does he does some things that will come on to later in the film that maybe point to him being a, like again just a. a a massive, a massive dickhead. But you get to the airport, they eventually end up at a motel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the flight is cancelled and they have to land in, I think, is it Wichita, Wichita that they end up in? Yeah. yeah. And uh, because Dale is this travelling salesman, a shower ring, sorry, a shower curtain ring salesman, yep. which is just the most ridiculously funny job that you could imagine. How niche would that market be? Um, but, you know, he knows everybody. He's been everywhere. So he's got an in with the, the guy at the motel and he, and he manages to get them both a room for the night. Um which, you know, after the, the taxi ride from hell, from, uh, you know, Mr. Heckles from the Friends, actually. Yeah. Really chuckle when he is that who that is? Right, yeah. okay. I think yeah. he must be like a, a friend of John Hughes because he also shows up in Home Alone as well, doesn't he? He's the, the police officer that they phone back at the at yeah. the desk. Yeah, and um, then at, right at the beginning of this film, there's three of the characters in the first scene are straight from the breakfast club that was out the other door. <laughs> like, so he just got he's, he's got his it's the same nowadays you've got your pal group it's like oh, Scorsese yeah, yeah. working with DiCaprio you've got your pals and you, you work with them you know you can work with them so mm-hmm. aye, there's no no shade thrown there yeah so they, uh, they they get to the the motel and discover to their horror that they, they have to share a room together and again a, a good bit of like uh, you know 80s sort of borderline homophobia going on in those scenes which is quite funny um but it's aged in such a way that like it's not i wouldn't even i wouldn't describe it as offensive in any way it's just funny because it's such a, a representation of the yeah. times and of, i completely of I com- yeah i would have to completely push back on the, the the homophobia thing it's not it's it's two guys that have been brought up in a certain way that no male intimacy has ever been had blah 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 i don't i don't think there's any sort of Oh no, it's disgusting to be gay. Like we, no, 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 bears no. or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't. But, know, but, I wouldn't. But, say the, that. 
but no, but I think that exists in like almost all of like eighties cinema and eighties comedy at that point. The worst thing you can be like in these films is like, oh my god, I, I, I touched that man's ass. Oh, holy shit! Oh, oh my god, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. <laughs> and they do that hilarious thing in the morning. We'll, we'll talk about the scene where they wake up in bed together. But you know, they immediately get out of bed. And they, what do they do? They, they they resort to talking about the football that they saw the night before. You know, yeah. it's so funny. Um, and yeah, it's when I, when I see homophobia, I'm not talking about an angry, hateful bigot standing in the corner, but like it's it's just it's part of eighties society, you know. What it wasn't acceptable to to be seen as gay then, and so like that then becomes something that you can poke fun at and you can prod that with a stick. And I think John Hughes is just on the right side of it. And I would argue a lot of the things he does, a lot of the characters he has throughout his his filmography, have that same sort of thing. It's not not homophobia, but it's representative of how people or gay people would have been viewed at the time. And the idea of being gay is, would be viewed in pop culture. It's very interesting. It still exists in, like, even even when you get to the 90s and you see Friends, and you watch some old reruns of Friends, and, like, you know, the idea of being gay is, is, is still pointed as this, this, oh, my God, he's gay. You know, like, it, yeah. it's, it's just part of, I think, what pop culture was and what it's going on to become. Yeah, so, like, they're, they're, in this, they're in the room together, Colin, and there's a sort of the, the first clue pops up that maybe Dell's got a backstory because he's got a picture of his wife, right? And this kick-started a memory in me because up until then, I'd forgot that he has this backstory, this twist that we speak about. I forgot he had this. Do you think knowing that second time round, knowing that he's got this backstory, makes you think of him differently than the first time you watched it? Because, um, like, the, the setup of him being this really annoying, kind of inconsiderate guy, which he kind of is, like, he, he's talking over people, he's, you've, when you say to somebody, I don't really want to speak to you, and then they come back and start speaking to you, he's cracking his knuckles, he's burping, he's, he's, he's using other towels, he's annoying. But because of his backstory, the second time, because you know it, does it change your opinion on him, do you think? I think it, I think it does slightly, yeah. I mean, but he's been isn't an excuse for being a selfish bastard and using all the towels or anything like that. But I think you do sort of look at him in a certain different lens and you think, okay, he's not annoying just because he's annoying. He's actually lonely. Um, he is traveling all the time. That's why he's got the biggest trunk in the world rather than a suitcase or a briefcase with him. Um, so yeah, I do think you see it sort of, sort of differently and you do sort of see the, the more tragedy in the character and the more sadness and the more sort of reason as to why he is the way he is. It's not just because he's an annoying chatty guy. He's been an annoying chatty guy because he's got a rare opportunity perhaps to actually chat to somebody. And that's really sad, really, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we have to, I, I don't think we can, I, I think it would be easy to go a bit too deep on this film and try and get a bit too into the into the kind of weeds of it. Um, but it does certainly make you think of it slightly differently. I think than they've just been a typical loudmouth, annoying, brash, chatty American. Um, yeah. Can I ask? Do you, do you think that? I mean, the fact that he, he is so slovenly and so inconsiderate, I think that does tie into the idea that well, it's because he's never around anyone. You know, he doesn't right. get to, this is just this is how he is on his own, and so yeah. he so rarely gets to share any time with anybody. I don't even think he sees it as as horrible and disgusting. Um, no, he doesn't know. I think if you know it yourself that if 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 you've got a partner and she goes away for a week on holiday with her pals or even to visit her parents for two or three days, you know yourself and as a guy, and I think I speak for most men here, 
you quickly revert to caveman status left in the home alone for two or three days on your own. And I guess that's kind of similar to what's happened to him as well. He's yeah. he's now in a position where he can just fart. He can just pick his feet. He can stick his socks in the sh- in the sink. Do you know what I mean? It's th- th- That's what does happen to a lot of men when they get left on their own, albeit temporarily or sadly permanently. I, I also think that he gets away with it because he's John Candy. You know, and, and it's like, he he's just got this natural warmth on screen, I find, with John Candy in any, any film that he's in. You know, you naturally like him. So when he's doing these absolutely abhorrent, abominable things, you're still kind of on his side because it's John Candy. And like, you know, I was reading that there's, there's so many names attached to this project. Um, and I don't know how real this is or if it's a bit apocryphal because one of them is um, with John Travolta in the John Candy role. And you just think, like, the minute he shows up on screen, you'd be like, oh, fuck off, you prick. You know, you're immediately... good-looking, skinny guy. Well, fuck <laughs> off. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. You wouldn't have any truck with it. Um, I read uh, about, a year, about a year ago, I read a book called uh, Wild and Crazy Guys uh, by Nick Desemlian, who's the, the editor of Empire Magazine. And it's all about sort of like 80s stand-up and uh, like the 80s movies that came through. And there's a huge section in that about planes, trains, and automobiles. And, and he's adamant, like everyone he'd spoken to, like John Candy and... Uh, Steve Martin were the only two people that he ever had in mind for this film, and it's like you know it was just a no-brainer. They actually, I think they actually put t- they ended up delaying production in order to get who they wanted because it was so like, yeah, this is Dell is John Candy. It has to be him. It, ma- it makes complete sense. It makes yeah. absolute complete sense. And what do you think of Neil's absolute? He's only known Dell for a day. But he's managed to laser focus into his insecurities. What do you think that says about Neil as a character, as a person? Either of well, you. I mean, he works in marketing. It's kind of yeah. his job. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I think, yeah, that's exactly the same thing that I've got in my notes. It's like this is a guy who's, whose entire life is about zoning in on who people are and what they want and how they operate. And I also think, again, I know you said not to look too deeply in your column, but I do think it's there. I think that ties into the end of the movie as well when he puts everything together. You know, this guy he's been travelling with for days, and it's like, well, he knows people. That's his thing. And yet, that scene is so cutting and so, like, the comedy almost drops out for a second, and it's just this really awful... It's mean. Yeah, mean-spirited <laughs> attack on Dell. Um and then obviously there gets that lovely like speech that's been parodied a million times. You know, I've seen that in like three or four. Like, I've seen it in Family Guy like two or three times as well. That that speech, uh, you know, given back. But it's got that wonderful payoff when he goes to bed and he's lying there and he like, keeps looking over his shoulder just to see if <laughs> Neil's still watching him. If he's still still like a kid, like my kids do. You know that same thing. They're in a huff. It's like is he still watching me? Yeah, I'll, I'll still stay in a huff. Then that's fine. <laughs> well, so. They wake up, obviously, and what is their next? What's their next plan? How are they getting to where well, they're trying to get to? Can I just say that that scene where they wake up and uh, you know it's like, why why do you kiss my ear? I don't know. Why are you holding my hand? <laughs> where, where's your other hand? It's between two pillows. <laughs> Those aren't pillows. <laughs> that that kills me. Every time. <laughs> it's the look of horror in both their faces as they realise what they're doing is brilliant. I just, oh, I absolutely love it. They've been robbed by this point? Yes, yeah. Right. The, the, um, the, you know, that that's a that's a deleted scene as well. Um, so apparently there's a scene where that they had in originally where Dell orders pizza and the pizza delivery guy comes and he's only got just enough money to pay him so he doesn't tip him. 
And so that's the pizza delivery guy later that night breaking into the room to steal mm. their money because they didn't tip him. Because they mentioned the pizza in the film, yeah, and yeah, when, yeah. He thinks he's like, when Dale thinks he's did his wallet, let that yeah. by um, John Candy, and he he says you went into my wallet to get the pizza money, sort of thing. So uh, makes sense. <laughs> I, that's what I thought I'd missed a bit with pizza, but obviously not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's like yeah. when when they go to breakfast and they're, they're talking about it, that's when they discover obviously that they've been robbed. And and can I ask, right? It's not just me, is it? I mean, do you guys often carry seven hundred dollars or seven hundred quid around with you? Just you know, just I just have that in my wallet. Well, not nowadays, but, but back then, probably. Right? You would <laughs> need that, that? What would that have been back then as well? Though that seven hundred dollars yeah. is probably about two thousand dollars now. Yeah, two, two grand if you've if you've got to pay for stuff, lots of stuff. <laughs> then having two grand carrying about wouldn't I don't think would if you're a business executive or whatever. Yeah, then, maybe, yeah, maybe. One one of the things like that linked to that, which I, which amazed me, because I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten about how credit cards used to get taken. Oh, the, mm, the yeah. putting it in the machine and taking the imprint and stamping it and stuff like that. And then that that seems to me that's that seems to be people. Obviously, it's not longer than nineteen eighty seven ago, but that seems like fucking Game of Thrones for me. <laughs> like it's so true. Nowadays, I'm paying with my watch. And <laughs> oh, that, can, that, that was right oh. into the. That was right into the. Mid, late 90s, man, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, it, just, it just looks so jarring now compared to what we're all used to instant payments, money coming off straight away, and all that sort of stuff. Well, you know, they, they've talked about remaking this film, I think, three times it's come up, and with like, ugh, just every time I hear it, just fills me with dread. Just, thinking, oh, just fucking leave it alone. It but, has been remade once. Um, the, the Robert Downey Jr. film? No, so um, when, I, when I searched on my server to watch this, Another film came up, and I've got it in front of me here. Oh During a business trip, event planner Kaylee and sports agent Brett oh. find themselves unable to fly home for Christmas due to a snowstorm. Determined to get back to NYC by Christmas Eve, the two team up to try and make their own way home. And the film's called Planes, Trains and Christmas Trees. Uh, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. That's bollocks. <laughs> Four on IMDb. And it came out in 2022, and one hour and 27 minutes for no, you. Just none of the stuff works with modern technology. Th- that's exactly what <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, it's like, th- how does this film work in letting the modern day? Like, oh, no, somebody stole my wallet. Or so- somebody stole my money. All right, okay, well, I've got my phone. <laughs> yeah, I've got my, as you said, I've got my, my, my watch. I can do that. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's, every time I hear about a potential remake, it just you just think, you, you're missing the point, guys. You're missing, the, it doesn't need the remake. You know, just watch this one. It's all its time. Um, oh, wow. like, try to remake like um, I don't know. It's a wonderful life or something. Like, it's it's all right. People can cope with black and white. It's like, you'll you'll survive. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> not not me, Hugh. I've got a bit of issue with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get I get abuse every Christmas because I watch the color version of it. It's a wonderful. Life. I mean, that's heresy. Heresy. <laughs> I just I've can't do black and white. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I thought I can do black and white. I've just never watched it. I spend my whole I spend my whole time watching black and white trying to guess what colour things is. <laughs> Not watching. <actually. laughs> is that what you do as a pastime watching black and white films? That's amazing. <laughs> Just got, I wonder if his t shirt's blue or red. Just can't, can't cope with it. Uh, but I remember the first time I told some of the boys that I watched It's Wonderful Life. Oh, I can't believe you watched that, Colin. That's an old thing. Did you enjoy it? So it was great, it was great. Then I mentioned that it was a colour version and the abuse I got was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ever tried Citizen Kane? No, just you'd be oh, sitting there like, what the colour's that fucking sled? 
<laughs> no, I haven't. Cinder's list either. I've not done that. Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I that, that, that's purposely shot in black and white. You know, it's, that's, even, that's even more wacky. <laughs> so what's the plan of action now, Hugh? Yeah, so, so they, they, they come out of the hotel, uh, the motel, and they, they need to make their way to the, the train. They manage to book passage on a train that'll take them straight to Chicago. And... Uh, <laughs> The, uh, again, it's a friend of Dell who sends his son with his pickup truck to, to come and take them, who is just the most repugnant man I think I've ever seen. And do you know who plays the uh, the, the son that comes to pick them up? It's, oh, wait a minute. Oh, you got this one? No, 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 no. It's no. Uh, Dylan Baker, who, like, if you go- if you Google Dylan Baker, you'll know he's, he's, he's in everything. Um, he ends up in ER, doesn't he? Yeah, he was, he was in, like, the Spider-Man movies, like, it, so many things he's been in, but he's unrecognisable here. And and again, apparently a lot of this scene was just ad libbed. Well, a lot of the stuff well, that he was saying and like the the spit on his hand. About the, the story goes that he, you know he's covered his hand in the spit and shook Steve Martin's hand unprompted. Like, Fuck it, that's bold, lads. That's bold. It's a really bizarre scene as well because obviously the son's been sent to pick them up. <laughs> For some reason, he's brought his wife and child along, <laughs> and he's got the the one line that I, that made me burst. Splut out laughing. I think you know what I'm going to say here. She was, um, she, she had she had her first baby, and it came out sideways, and she never screamed once or something along those lines. And I just thought to myself, Jesus Christ, man, um, <laughs> you, yeah. So he's he's a repugnant character. They get stuck in the back of, yeah. That's another thing. They get stuck in the back of the truck as well. Um, yeah, stuck yeah. in the back of the truck with the the, the dog as well. Isn't it? So they can't yeah, there's even... gloves there. Obviously, he left his. <laughs> He's gloves in the office. I'll, I'll no need them type thing. Can you bring them to me? So, and there's that mad wee dog there. And yeah. and it's funny, isn't it? Because like again, we're talking about the, the tone of this film, and it is a wee bit sort of all over the place. It's quite broad at times, and sometimes it's a wee bit more lasered in on what it wants to do. But it really works for it because like I, I watched this with my kids. This is like the second year I've watched it with my kids, and they are like, Christ, twelve and sixteen, and like. They, they howl at all this. Let's see the stuff with the dog, which is very silly. You know, silly sight gang is the dog's yeah. frozen. But it, it, it absolutely lands. And, um, well, we will get to it. If it wasn't for the scene where Neil has to go and get in, you know, speak to the, the woman at the, the, the car rental PG-13. Yeah, yeah, PG-13, but they refused to cut any of the swear words because they wanted that scene in the movie. Well, apparently that scene was the scene that attracted Steve Martin to the role in the first place. <laughs> that kind of sold him on it, but the, the opportunity to do that. It's so, so good. So yeah, eighteen swear words, eighteen Fs. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Eighteen is that how many it is? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and and again, it's like I kind of held off letting the girls watch it when they were a bit younger because of that scene because it's like it's it's a lot. That scene is very very sweary. But again, it's so it's so cartoonishly silly that it kind of it's all right. You know, you get away with it. Even even in what I would describe as a broadly family friendly movie, it's got that one scene that's just absolutely insane in the middle. Um, so yeah, like they, so they get to the um, so they get to on the train. The train breaks down, um, and this is after he's tried to send Dell away. Like he bought him a ticket, you know, but he's like, you know, oh, we couldn't get tickets together. Like, oh, you're gonna have to sit in the back of the train. <laughs> That's me again. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but do you not think as well that speaks though to the kind of person that Neil is? I would do that as well, right? Because I wouldn't want to sit next to him. But like yeah. he could have, he could have been a dick and been like, "No, you, you, we're at the train station. You sort yourself out." Aye. But you know, as a sort of like, "Listen, thank you. You got you got me that room for the night. Here's a t- here's a ticket for you." So like, that's, I, that's what I keep saying about this film. And and then when he's on the train, he's talking to the little kid and he's like engaging with her. Oh, you're looking forward to going home for Thanksgiving, and he seems like a nice man. 
but we're just seeing him like on the worst couple of days of his life. And so, you know, I, I think his reactions well well the over the top are understandable, I think, throughout the film. Right, let's just fling it out there. What do you think about I'll go to you for this call? Do you think his marriage is on solid ground? <laughs> um I, I don't I know I think it is because there's there's that there's that desire to get back to each other. There's that desire from her when you see the the, the sideways scenes of her at home waiting for him. You see how happy she is when he gets there and they kiss and everything. I, I think it's all right. Yeah, they seem to have the happy home life, all the little kids, um, all the family around for Thanksgiving. I, I didn't get that vibe. What was, what was it that made you think that? I don't know. I just think a guy that's away all the time on business trips and stuff like that, it would just there would just be tension in the marriage almost all the time. Um, and just because it's a 1980s buddy road movie doesn't mean that there's potentially those underlying yeah. issues. Um, I didn't get the vibe of it, but it's not, I'm not saying it wasn't there. You're just, it is that sort of thing where that sort of that sort of delay. And I, I did get this, the the vibe that it's not the first time he's been delayed getting back from his kids and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And the flashbacks, the flashbacks that you spoke about earlier, flashbacks to everything apart from his wife. <laughs> yeah. I'd never picked up on that before, Jack. Doesn't think I mean, about his wife. Yeah. Thinks about his kids and has a good old laugh about his buddy. His wife's none of these flashbacks ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being a little bit um, darker. So, yeah, let's move on with the story then, Hugh. Um, yeah, so the, the train yeah. breaks down and uh, they need to make their way across this paddock, this the, the worst field that you'll ever see. <laughs> and, and and again, he sees Dell dragging this big, this ridiculous uh, crate of his along to you know along the field, and he goes and helps him. And it, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I'd have done that. I think maybe that says more of me. You know, maybe he's a better I, man I, than I me. I would have done it. Yeah, if I'm I, on I a train and it breaks down, Hugh, and they tell me right off, you get and walk for a mile and a half across this field. Fuck off by helping anybody. <laughs> I'm waiting for the next train to come. It's <laughs> so, so that's the point at which the, uh, they, dis- well, I think uh, Dell makes a bit of money, doesn't he, by selling the um, the shower curtain rings as expensive jewellery. What a yeah. salesman he is, by the way. I would, I would buy some of them for my significant other. That's not a bother. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so he does that. And then they, they have lunch together. And that's where, again, like Neil decides, listen, we're just slowing each other down. We'll both travel better if we just we go our separate ways. And, and again, that ties into what I was saying. It's like he, you can see that he genuinely feels shitty about what he's doing, but like you know, he thinks it's probably for the best for both of them to, to send them off. But he does. He feels guilty about it. Not so guilty that he doesn't go ahead with it, and that's understandable as well. So I think we then jump to uh, to Neil uh, going to get his car, don't we? Like getting dropped off at the the airport. Uh, bus by the bus to to the car that he's rented, uh, and he gets to he gets to his lot to discover um, that there is no car <laughs> that they, they've rented him a car that's already gone, and the bus leaves him stranded in the middle of the of the airfield. He has to walk across the middle of a runway. Can you imagine doing that in this day and age? <laughs> He'd be shot. <laughs> he walks across the middle of a runway on his way back um, to the uh, to the depot, and uh, yep. He he gets to he gets up to the desk. He he looks riotous by this point. Like his clothes are torn to ribbons. His shoes are in bits. Which can all be shoes, by the way. Like I, every time I see this, it looks like he's wearing slippers. It's a ridiculous <laughs> look. I never noticed the shoes. Oh, oh man! Oh, no, I did actually right at the beginning when he's going and running along. <laughs> yeah, it's like slippers. That's one of the first things I noticed actually right early on. 
Yeah, I mean, like, was that a style in the eighties? Did, did, did I, it must I'm have been? Yeah. Must have been some sort of schwed sort of thing going on. Is there a is there a small um, contingency error here where obviously later on you find out that the other t- the other car that gets destroyed was booked because there was a switch of cards. So how did how did he get the how did he get his own car? How did he book his own car when he didn't have the credit card? I think he's got several. Did he not have two credit cards? He's got a diner's club. And a diner, yeah, something like that, yeah. What a so spot. Nice. I a pothole, damn it. Okay. No. <laughs> so um, do you guys want to, because I could, I mean, this this scene, do you guys want to take this scene away? Uh, what, do you, what do you make of his, I know you've mentioned it already, but his absolutely foul mouth tirade against this, admittedly, very fucking annoying woman at the, behind oh, the desk. She is. I think, she, I think she deserved it. She, I was ninety five percent. She deserved it. And then the gobble gobble at the end, hundred percent confirmed it. <laughs> gobble gobble. If it if it wasn't the fucks that made it an R rated film, it was the gobble gobble. <laughs> she's just she's very done up as almost the original Karen, isn't she? With the yeah, yeah. the makeup, the hair, the kind of she's talking on the phone. Clearly not a business call. He starts speaking, and she just gives him the finger. Like to 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 touch them sort of thing, so yeah, you, it was always going to get angry. But I don't think anybody watching it, and you wouldn't have seen this in the trailer at the time because of the language. So <laughs> any cinema seen that for the first time, those eighteen fucks came out of nowhere, and it would have been quite quite the thing to see for the first time. I bet you. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Really enjoyed it. Um, I don't particularly think you should abuse people in services, but the the way that this, like you say, is called the way they set it up in these films is. They're always in a personal call, and they always fat people off. Yeah, because that has happened to most people in life. I'd imagine at some point where somebody's just sort of fapped you off, not doing their job, and that is annoying. And that's the way that they set it up in this film, and that kind of gives you carte blanche for him to go fucking mental. <laughs> and it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I think. I think the only thing, the, the thing that that makes me comfortable with it because you are right i mean people in the service industry of which i was one for a long time it's like you don't, you don't deserve to be spoken to like that no, never. But, the, but the fact is the film gives her the upper hand at the end the, the film gives her the payoff to it which yeah. is glorious you know he gets this self-righteous indignant speech <laughs> that goes on and on and on and on and she gets to end it with oh can, can i see your rental agreement right. i threw it away <laughs> oh, oh, oh dear <laughs> what is it you're fucked. Because you would just bring out your phone there and show them a QR code. Well, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't it work? That's good. So he goes outside, he tries to, he has a sort of to and fro with um, some sort of car. Who is the guy? Is it a car the, rental? The, tax, the taxi attendant. Taxi yeah. attendant. Punches him straight in the face, which is kind of fair enough. He nearly gets ran over by, of course, John Candy calling Um no surprises there, really. It would be, it would have been weird if it was somebody else. Yeah, it was. I think that's the second time he's almost got run over lying on the ground in the film. Um, yeah, so, both. Some, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, some good stunt work with the car, the car bumper stopping right at his head mm-hmm. each time. Um, there's then the, the 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 most awful thing that could probably happen to a man is getting picked up like a bowling ball by his balls. Um, by the guy. Serious assault, man. And he can't speak properly in the car after that. But the thing is, see, because we do a bit of podcasting and stuff like that, they've just fucked about with their... <laughs> yeah, the, the verb of his voice or something the, like that. The, the EQ yeah. or something, they've just fucked about with it to make it that high-pitched way. And 
I, it awful. kind of annoyed me because I, I know a tiny little bit about that, but at the same time, <laughs> the comic value of just him having a squeaky voice hours later because it's dark. Yeah, and it's he's still squeaking. He's been squeaking for hours. And it's you can imagine like everything that John Candy does in the film is annoying to him. But you can imagine that happening to you. You're sat there four hours later, you're still squeaky, and John Candy hits out with, I've never seen a man picked up by his spectacles before. <laughs> yeah, valid point. But, yeah. I, I, I love good. that. See, when they're in the car together, before the madness begins, and they're just talking, and, he, and he's, he's, oh, you know, I, I can't reach down to take off my socks. And he's like, no, just, just leave them on. I don't want your foot odor. And he just says, oh, well, it must be swell to be so perfect and odor-free. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? And, he's like, and Neil says to him, it's like, um, do you know what I want? And he's like, I don't know, a third hand and another set of balls. <laughs> like, that, that Aye, that's because he said to him, he me. said, like, uh, Neil said, oh, well, you pick something about me that you find annoying. And Dale said, you scratch your balls all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'd not noticed in the film. He hadn't been doing it, had he? It might, might be on the cotton floor. Uh, yeah. Maybe, no, yeah, I bet no, it is. No. There's 20 minutes of Steve Martin catching his boys. <laughs> but I can imagine like that that being part of the film at some point, this ig- ignorant, above his self marketing executive sitting, man-spreading, scratching his balls at some yeah. point. I can imagine it being there. But they've decided to cut it, and again, that wee comment doesn't particularly make a lot of sense. <laughs> but it's probably, but it's funny. It's so, funny, exactly. It's funny. Yeah, um, the, they end up swapping drivers at this point. So is that what happens? Yeah. So yeah. So to to get sleep, to get some rest, Neil Neil hands over the reins to Dell, uh, <laughs> and that that leads to what is what undoubtedly my favorite, like maybe 10, 15 minutes of the film. Like it's the kind of thing you know when you when you know something so well. That even before it happens, you're like chuckling you're about it. Wait, yeah, you're waiting on it happening. <laughs> That's the scene for me. The minute the the minute the mess around starts playing uh, by Ray Charles, and he's like, the, like John Candy's hilarious. You know that whole scene where like he, he's you know he's he's acting out the piano and he's stuff. Fa- and it's fantastic, man. It's he's it's, brilliant at it. Yeah. He's so good. He's so good. And again, the idea of him like trying to take his jacket off and like wrapping wrapping the reins around the sides of the seat, <laughs> he's trying to dry with his legs. And honestly, <laughs> every time I watch it, there's tears streaming down my face. Uh, getting to the point where like you know the car goes into the crazy spin, it's it's wonderful. And uh, of course, that near accident is what leads uh, Dale to accidentally drive down the highway in the wrong direction. Yeah, and it's been used in other films. Since I think well, I think there's a film that's basically ripped off from, but anyway, yeah, Colin, they're driving down the wrong way, and there's a car next to them. Yeah, the window down, she'd put your window down. <laughs> You're driving the wrong way, they're screaming at them. And the best, the best <laughs> bit about this is, I don't know, I don't know if it's Dale or Neil that says it. Go, how would they know we're driving the wrong way? They don't know where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> It's just after that. Oh, it's well. fucking brilliant, man. What a line. <laughs> we totally dismissed this other couple in the car as they were the I'd idiots. Drunk. And he starts saying drunk and he's giving it the old go, 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 go. It's just physical comedy. Yeah, he's so good at it, man. Oh, so good. And then yeah. you've got the, the stunts of the time when the car just perfectly goes through the middle of these two trucks. You what think it's you going th- to uh, escape, on you go. but it does, and it loses its wing mirrors, it loses. Decide, but apparently though a good a good mechanic could be able to double it all out. It'd be all right. Definitely <laughs> buff that right out. <laughs> buff that out. Aye, that'll be fine. Um, so what did you What did you think about the 
the skeletons and the it's so stupid it's so stupid it's the exact same i think it's it's the exact same props from home alone too yeah uh-huh uh-huh it's the exact same skeletons that marv when he gets electrocuted and it's the fact that it's it's the onesie devil uniform and it's it's only for a second and a half two seconds and he's holding the trident and he's just laughing it's like the it's like the scene where you in the Exorcist where you get like a glimpse of Pazuzu the demon you know you get that one brief glimpse of the face <laughs> it's like this is John this is Dale's true form that we're seeing here <laughs> the devil himself sitting beside him it kills me it kills me yeah it's uh, funny they're sitting <laughs> and is it because that Dale was smoking again that the cars went on fire he tried to throw his cigarette butt out the window and it blew right. straight back into the back. Oh, right, window. okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm a smoker, it's happened to me. <laughs> it has. It's both of them taking the turn at looking over their shoulders and yes. seeing the smoke coming off the car. Um, one of them looks, stops, the other one looks, stops, and then they both get up. And it's, it's so stupid. Like, it's proper. Like, when you break it down, it's pure lowest common denominator humour, but it still yeah, makes absolutely. you laugh. It's, it's just funny. And, and again, it, that comes from the talent of those two actors. And what you guys both mentioned earlier, the, the looks on their face just, it ends me every time. Such a big, silly, obvious joke, isn't it? Like when the car bursts into flames, of course that's what's going to happen. But it's their reaction to it that absolutely kills the audience every time I watch it. And I've watched it with, with people who I know who haven't seen it before. And it's always that scene. Like that, everything in the car, right up until that, that moment, just ends people because it's so silly like you said broad is the best way of describing it i often think when people say broad it's kind of like very derisory you know and like they're kind of offhand with it and, and i do get that right there are there are some things i find and i would describe as broad comedy that just don't shine for me but the reason it's broad is because it works for a large audience i mean that's what yeah. it all is uh, and when you've got a comedy like that with two such talented actors really like excelling what they're doing it makes everything all the funnier just honestly it's they, they should be teaching this moments in the in this film in school to people because it is so precision perfect comedy and it's so many different styles of comedy across the film it's remarkable but there's a a moment of realization here from neil which is how did you manage to hire a car you don't have any credit cards <laughs> And the way the, the Dell handles this, right? On one hand, it's kind of like, oh, it's it's wacky Dell, and he's unfortunate he doesn't have any money or anything like that. But when it boils down to it, he's basically stole well, not stole the guy's credit card, but used it, used mm. Neil's credit card without his knowing. Do we think that because of the type of movie it is, that we kind of know that Dell would have paid that money back and stuff like that, and it would have been fine? Yeah. Or can you think he's a he's a bit of a crook and he's just went, Oh, I've got this credit card, I may as well just use it to hire this car and get home. <laughs> it's when they're it's when they're booking the motel it happens. The guy, the clerk at the motel gives them back the wrong credit cards. Oh each. no, I get that. Yeah, I get that. But... So that's the moment. But, but Jude, the reason I mentioned that scene is that it's noticed at the time John Candy's character notices that this he's got he's been given the wrong card and doesn't so say not... anything. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe there is that crook or that living on the road, not having a lot of money. He's just not said anything, and he, it's, he's came in handy. And he's he's double screwed him here because now uh, Dale's on the hot for the rental car and the actual rental car because I imagine there's some sort of rule that if you blow up the fucking car, you pay for it. <laughs> so he's just cost him a car, basically. 
Um, and I'm your shots here. Here, like, yeah, are, are we I, digging? Are we digging too deep down no, into I, the morality think, of the characters here? I don't think you are, because I, I think it's there to be read, you know. And and that this goes back to what I said earlier. It's because it's John Candy. You almost you forgive that, don't you? You go, okay, you know, <laughs> you fact, yeah. like he's, he's crazy, isn't he? <laughs> Again, imagine that's John Travolta. Like, you fucking oh, you, prick, you, you absolute brit bastard, you know, <laughs> that's, just, that's how you would be. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with Colin, I, I think he, he knows what he's doing, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's not so much he wants to be a thief, it's like he's a man of necessity, isn't he? And it's oh. like, he needs a car, he needs to get where he's going, and he's got no credit card because Neil has his, and it's like, well, I'm probably not going to feel too bad about this. And he does say that he's going to, oh, you know, it's going to pay you back, it's going to pay you back, and maybe he was, who are we to say, you know, but um, I'm, I'm sceptical, I'm very sceptical. I mean, how many shower curtain rings would he need to sell to pay him back, do you think? <laughs> a fair few. Well, he sold, what, in that little montage, he sold maybe eight or nine and had $100, didn't he? Yeah. So it would it would be a lot, I think. A hell of a lot. You notice that after that scene as well, when they're in the diner eating, like half the people in the diner have got those like, rings in their ears and like, around their wrists and stuff. I was like, that's a good salesman. I guess. I was like, oh, right, and I've noticed that. She's been selling them to everybody in there. Everybody. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Man, I never noticed that. I'm not sure if it was remade. They would they would do the scene where he tells the three little girls they look they look, they, they they look, look a lot older. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these, will, these will make you look these will make you look older. And yeah. then, for that split second, I thought, ooh, and then I thought, all oh, right, it's because like they want to look older and they just give them the money. But for that, it just shows you the society we live in nowadays that that's the yeah, first yeah. thought. Yeah, like, you question everything. Like you question it when a man says to three seventeen-year-olds, "These will make you look older." <laughs> Right, so they've done all that. Where, where are we now? Here, I'm leaning on you heavily because I kind of forgot. No, no. So, so after <laughs> that, they um they make their way to the nearest motel for the night in what's left of the the shell of their car. It's basically some seats and some wheels in like half. An oh yes, and I've looked fast. that scene when when uh, when Neil gets out of the car. That scene ends me because this that scene is like the 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 coup de gras of of the the scene we've just seen where like no because he's punched him in the gut at the end of that last scene because he's so angry and he's talking about Harry Houdini yes that that line <laughs> guys, he's like you know you could have killed me slugging and slugging me in the gut when I wasn't ready that's how Houdini died you know and like. <laughs> That line, that's how Houdini died, has become a thing in like our friend group. It's like, you know, when something's that, that's how Houdini died, you know. Uh-huh. It's it's madness. And um, I looked this up, actually. I didn't know. Did you, do you know how Houdini died? No. It's because it it he, he get punched in the stomach when he wasn't expecting it. That, that's the popular that's the popular story. So um, right. he used to say that he could withstand any blow to the gut. And so he would invite people, like when he was out doing his shows or doing his things, he would invite people to come up and punch him in the gut as hard as they could. Um, and there was an incident at, uh, with a student at McGill's University uh, where he was punched repeatedly in the stomach over and over again. Um, and that was what was thought to have killed him. But they actually discovered it was a ruptured appendix. But I'm going to say it was the guy punching him in the appendix over and over and over again. I'm sure I, that that wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have made it better. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Yeah. So they arrive at the hotel um, and they're, they're speaking to the guy behind the counter who played the sleazy sort of corporate shill in Jurassic Park. It's the first time I noticed that. That's who that is. The guy gets eaten by the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. He's behind the desk. And um, so, you know, they've got no money. He tries to show him his credit cards, which have burned to a cinder in the car. There's nothing left of them. Uh, And Neil is able to secure a room by, like, giving him his watch for the, you know, that gets him the room for the night. 
Uh, and then Dell tries the same, and all he's got is a Casio, which, uh, which unfortunately <laughs> nobody's biting. Um, so yeah, Neil goes into his room, you know, looks reasonable place to stay for the night, happy enough. Um, and Dell's stuck outside in the car uh, in the snow, and he's kind of talking to his wife, you know, like, you can say, oh, you know, I've messed this up again. And whenever anyone, I spend time with anyone, I'm, I'm too much for them. And you see Steve Martin kind of watching him from the window. And, and, and again, as much as an asshole as he is, he again opens the door and invites him into the room for the night. And uh, and then you get one of the real sort of like the sort of like nice come down moments of the film where you where they get to kind of engage with each other in a non hostile way. And there does feel like there's a wee bit of love between the two of them, you know, after all the, the nonsense. Just getting pushed together, but that's yeah, the way that you that's the way that you connect with a lot of people that hmm. if you're from Glasgow and you're over the age of us thirty odd, that's how you would have connected <laughs> with people back in the day would just get pushed with them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, but it's scenes like that, that that do elevate the film and make it something more than the sum of its parts, you know, because they, they spend the time there to to build more than just contempt between the two characters. Hmm. Um, I, I mentioned earlier the name of it forgets me, guys. I'm sorry, but there was a Robert Downey Jr. film with Zach Galifianakis about a decade ago, right? That's basically a very similar plot to this. You know, Robert Downey Jr. is trying to get somewhere and he's lumped oh. with Zach Galifianakis. Call but it's, Google it as we speak. Yeah, it's, it's properly like hateful, you know. It, it it's almost like somebody has watched planes, trains, and automobiles and not really understood what made it the film that it is. Judy, sorry, Judy. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and it's like there is a magic to getting that right, to getting that balance right, and just not not just. I mean, that film has as many crazy things going wrong in it, right? But there's just this constant hatred between them. And, and that's kind of part of Zach Galifianakis's whole gig, but nowadays, yeah, I, I, like, you know what I mean? I get that, yeah. But <laughs> if I'm speaking about a Christmassy, Thanksgiving type film, and I just yeah, it does something that, that a lot of films wouldn't do, especially a lot of comedy films of the time where, like, they. They give those chari- those characters a chance to grow a bit and not just be, like I said, the cartoon characters that other films would have them be. And, and, and I think because of that, that's what helps the, the very end of the movie land. And where are we? Where are we next, Colin? We wake up the next day, because again, this takes over, this place takes place over four days, perhaps? Is it four days travel, something like that? Yes, round about, about, round about yeah. that, right? So where, where are they now, Colin? Do you remember? So they end they they end up in the in the back of a cheese truck, don't they? It's the next stage <laughs> of the journey. Like a frozen, like a frozen. Um, yeah, they they turn they turn up the the truck turns up. If it doesn't like people in the in the. Yeah, but John the, Candy seems to drive uh, it into Sheen. Yeah, uh, be, before that as well. <laughs> There's the scene where they're trying to get away from the motel and they back the car right through the. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and and, and that. That's what leads to them getting pulled over by yeah, uh, Michael pulled over. Yeah. The targets get pounded, and then they end up in the back of this cheese truck. And right, it's yeah. quite, there's, there's quite a good scene. It's not a good scene, but an interesting scene where it, the camera stays on the name of the cheese for quite a long time, and it stays on the slogan on the side of the truck for quite some time as well. And one of the reasons for that was because it was one of the few product placement shots they could use in the film because no railway lines, no plane companies, no airports <laughs> let them use their names because it was linked to delays and catastrophes. So they really milked the cheese part of it to get as much money as possible. I, I, I like you say, they never allowed to. Why would American Airlines want to be linked with delays and stuff like that? Isn't yeah, the Mando how, how 
Your business right, matter times have changed because didn't like FedEx pay a lot of money to be part of that Tom Hanks Castaway movie, like to have their yeah. branding everywhere? And it's like, yeah, it's you know, it's night and day because like back then it would be an absolute no-no, wouldn't it? Yeah, I read yeah, something years and years ago. Like, if, if you wanted, to see if you were writing a your first script or whatever, was to literally put in Jack drinks the Coca Cola, uh huh, or he opens the fridge and there's eight cans of Pepsi in it. Like, if you put that into a script, I heard again years ago, you would have more chance of getting it picked up. But <laughs> yeah, the so they're in that truck. They're in the back of the truck, and that, they're three hours in there to get to Chicago. That gets see, see the, the way he says that, like the the way that um, Dale says that to Neil, it's like you've only got three hours left. See, after what's happened. That three hours must have not, not the opposite. I felt so long it must have been like, oh, all right, okay, we've only got three hours left. That's nothing. Yeah, yeah. that's absolutely nothing it? compared to what we've went through. Yeah, I think they did the issue just because it was a like a a cooler truck, wasn't it? An ice truck sort of thing. When you're getting only three hours after all that, is you know you're right, getting okay. to the end of the road, oh, isn't you're it? Getting there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they finally get back to Chicago. Uh, they get to the Chicago train station. It's that famous bit of Chicago train line, yeah, actually. The, the L train, yeah. The L train. So many films and stuff is that that's filmed there. They say their goodbyes. Um, he gets on the train, and we'll probably best let you take over this bit, Jack. This is the bit. Yeah, very much so, part, isn't it? <laughs> now, yeah, the whole flashback scene, uh, King, just annoyed me. Um, I felt like Steve Martin was. See, I didn't realise that this was like a just a not an outtake, but just sort of camera roll basically that put into this. I felt like there was a sort of overacting when you're sitting. You wouldn't. I don't think you'd be sitting in the train. I think they could have just almost had him sort of staring into the distance with the flashbacks, and it might have still worked the same. But the fact he's kind of like, <laughs> remember that twenty four hours ago? <laughs> what a fucking <laughs> laugh that was two days ago. I just felt like, oh no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't react to that. Overacting, I thought the flashback. There's his wife isn't in it. There's another thing that if he's loving his wife so much, he's having such a good laugh about the guy he's just met, who he kind of hates and loves at the same time, <laughs> but can't be bothered having a flashback about his wife, who's been looking after the kids non-stop <laughs> all fucking week. <laughs> oh, daddy will be home soon. Not a thought for her. No I thought for her. Fuck her. <laughs> I right. thought the laughing and all that sort of stuff was just a bit of a sign of he was almost delirious. The, yeah. the, the fact that he's fight, he's got through all this, he's finally Maybe. on the last train. No, that annoyed me. That annoyed like, me. I, I do get your annoying thing. I do. I don't think you're being unreasonable in what you're saying. Yeah, uh, I mean, but he figures it out like, and you said it earlier here, where he, this is when everything starts to make sense because if you don't know the twist yet. You've either not watched the film, and if you haven't, go and watch it before you hear this. Dale's wife has been dead for eight years because this all starts to click, the pictures, some of the comments that Dale's made. He jumps the train back, that's Neil, and meets him in the train station. He's sitting there by himself. And even though I knew this was coming, I didn't bust out crying. I'm a bit of a cry when it comes to films. But I did have a lump in my throat at this point. I, I, like, I'm starting to feel a bit sort of Mm. Oh, I knew it was there. I knew it was coming, but it's still, it's still pretty emotional, man. Yeah, it's sad. 
it's, it's very well handled. Uh, and, and again, that scene doesn't land at all if you don't get that little scene with them in the uh, the motel the night before. You know, where you can see that there is a bit of sort of there is something more than just like barely tolerated animosity towards each other. You know, they have had made a little bit of a connection on their trip, um, and it is, it's heartbreaking. And you know, when you, when you start putting those things together, and you, it, I know we said you've asked a couple of things like we're looking too deep into it. I don't think you are. Um, I think John Hughes is a talented filmmaker who seeds a lot of these things through his films and you can enjoy them on a surface level. You can just take them as like the big silly comedy film that it is, or you can engage with it a bit more. And like, it all makes sense. You know, the idea, as Colin pointed out, call, uh, that um, Neil is a, an ad, ad executive who knows people, but he's been too wrapped up in his own journey and his own anger and trying to get home to really pay attention to what Dale was saying. And so when he does take the time to kind of sit with that like, quietly on his own, he just puts it all together. He understands, and and again, because John Candy's such a, a talented actor, like he's he's very endearing. In that moment when he goes back to to get him, um, always I'm the same guy. Always chokes me up when it when it, even though I know it's coming. You know, it's, it's a lovely little moment in the film. I definitely have a lump in my throat. What about you, Colin? What are you feeling at the end there? Had you remembered the twist? Up? Did did this come as a surprise? I, I don't imagine so. I hadn't remembered the twist from when I first watched it. But there was definitely something deep in my brain that something wasn't right. And as the right. film went on, I, I couldn't remember if his wife was divorcing him or if she was dead. Similar or, to me, to be fair, yeah. Or if she just didn't exist in the first place. I guess, because I remembered him going back to his house for Thanksgiving. And I wanted, in my head, I said, why is he not going back to his own wife? This isn't quite right. And as the film was going on, it was sort of coming back to me. But it was the, I didn't know to the very end when it was announced that was what I knew for sure. Yeah. Um. And it it's, it was a it was a good ending to the film. It was nice. The original. The, yeah, I think it was the fact that he went back for him and he brought him home and welcomed him, introduced him to his family and all that sort of stuff. The original ending was him almost forcing his way home with him, and that was what the original plan was for the film. By all accounts, that he kind of got on the train with him and said, "I'll make sure you get home. I'll, I'll come back and say hello to the family and all that." And they purposely changed it because they wanted them to be. Well, that, would never, that would never have worked, surely. Yeah, yeah. want yeah. them both to have that arc where one of them stops being so pushy and one becomes more helpful, sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I liked it. It was a good warm end. And he gets home to his, these beautiful American houses that only exist in films, like the Home Alone house sort of type. It's an £8 million house. <laughs> um, he walks in, he's got the picture-perfect family, uh, all the old relatives are around. You've seen the turkey, you've seen the pie coming out of the oven. It just all looked idyllic. And he's brought his pal back, and his pal's probably going to have his first first Thanksgiving in eight years. His his first time having people around him in company, and it's and I actually quite like the fact that it just finishes on his face. You don't get to see him sitting having that. <laughs> you don't get to see the turkey. You don't get to see any of the warmth. You just get his face realizing it, and I think that's quite. I, I, I think that was quite well done. So, so what would you say to somebody that said that John Hughes can't finish a film? Because, again, I'm just being a cynic here, I suppose. I think there's a lot of questions at the end of this film. Like, what happens to Dale? Where does he go? Why was he heading back to Chicago after eight years? What is his story after this? And I know you're not particularly meant to think about that because he's having that one good Thanksgiving where he'll sit down with... The family, the the, the the nice, not the niceties there, but they call each other Mr. and Mrs. type thing. There's yeah. something that I, I do understand that. But I, I, think there are, I think there are questions like, 
Where did he go? And why is he heading back to Chicago? I suppose one thing was in the hotel room. I think he says something when he's talking to his wife. He's talking about he's found somebody. So maybe he's got a new missus or something that stays in Chicago. I don't. I, I'm just. I've got questions about. I thought he meant where him. he was and what he does. Yeah, but he'd only that. Well, that like he'd only met him like twelve hours before that. So why would you like? Why would you be like? Oh, I found a person that I'm going all the way back to Chicago for after meeting a guy in a plane twelve hours before that. Perhaps I don't know. Um, I felt when. In terms of not being able to finish a film, maybe this is just a personal preference for me and how I like things. I I actually quite enjoy a film that leaves you with some questions. I feel enough, I, yeah. I like having the your own idea in your head of what happens. There's, there's a film called Gone Baby Gone that came out about 10 years ago. Ben Affleck directed it. It's about a child that goes missing. And there's a decision that gets made in the final act of that film that 10 years on, I still think about. And I wonder if it was the right thing that happened, and I wonder what's happening to that character now and stuff like that. So I don't mind unanswered questions and left to your own devices in that regard. I know some people like it all kind of tied up in a bow, but I wouldn't associate that with not being able to finish a film. That's the, the, the John Hughes films I've seen, and I've not seen all of them. I've not seen like The Breakfast Club and all that sort of stuff. But the Home Alone films and stuff like that, he certainly finishes them okay. Yeah, I mean, The Breakfast Club's a good example of that. A bit like this film, it, it's it's an open ending in that you do want to know more, don't you, about where these characters go next, but I'm like you, Colin, I don't have an issue with that as long as you're telling me a complete story in 90 minutes, which both both those films that we talked about do. This in particular, this is the whole story, like how do we get how do we get Neil home for Christmas? Um, and that's the story they tell. You're absolutely right, Jack, there's more stuff going on around the periphery of the film, and yeah. I mean, that's, just, that's just me, yeah. like, that, this, this, in my opinion, is a complete compartmentalise 90 minute start to finish film and take it as that. I'm just mm. being a little bit mischievous perhaps by <laughs> digging down a little bit deeper into, is Uncle Dale still staying there? Like three months later, you're like, oh, I've got enough rooms they should have, you know, you can put them up for yeah, a bit. Can Dale no just fuck off? He stays in the West. <laughs> <laughs> what is this trunk? I know he's, it's meant to be his whole life because that's the <laughs> film, but is it like his wife's skull? Like, you know, is, it like, is he a real weirdo? But again, no. That would be that'd be David Fincher's playing Strains and Automobiles. That would be Fincher's. <laughs> but yeah, 90 minutes, Thanksgiving film that has we've transposed into a sort of Christmassy type film. I've raised some of my issues with it, but generally really glad I watched it again here. So yeah, cheers for uh, cheers for picking that one. Um no, no not at all. It passed past ninety minutes and I, I enjoyed it hundred percent. What about you, Colin? Yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. Um I, I when you texted me last night and reminded me about this, as much as I was looking forward to spending some more time with you, we don't do it enough. The thought of sitting down for an hour and a half or two hours. <laughs> at, least, at least it wasn't Oppenheimer, you know. <laughs> well, I, I got I, that was my second choice, lad. So yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. To be fair, but. I wasn't looking forward to it. I thought right, I'll stick it on in the background during work. And then I thought, nah, fuck it, works quite. I'll knock off early and I'll sit and watch it this afternoon. And I'm glad I did. I sat back and watched it, and I, I gave it probably 90, 85, 90% attention. I didn't look at my phone all that much during that's it. Pretty, that's pretty high for yourself, mate. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I quite enjoyed it. It was fun. It was just, it was nice. I didn't have to yeah. think too much. Um, I wasn't having to concentrate. I just sat back and enjoyed it. And I had my Christmas tree over here. 
the film over here. I'm moving my head for the benefit of people listening on a podcast. <laughs> and it, it was just a very enjoyable afternoon. Yeah, like I said earlier, this film's always like the the starting pistol for me for Christmas. You know, it's like once I've seen planes, trains, and automobiles, that's it. I'm on the road to Christmas yeah, now. It's not quite Christmas, but you're getting there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Makes sense. Yeah, perfect. So, cheers, Hugh. We'll get you back on in a couple of months, and we'll let Colin pick a film there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Excellent. Citizen Kane, Colin. We'll see if we can get the color <laughs> version for you. Schindler's <laughs> List. It'll, it'll be Tremors. It's <laughs> <laughs> a fucking good film to be fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good one. I'll go with that. I will go with that. Right. Colin, cheers. Absolutely. Thank you, guys, and thank you, Hugh. Cheers, All right, guys. Shoggy, cheers. Thank you. And um, we're recording this a little bit early, but it will be Christmas in the next couple of days for people that are listening publicly. Um, or if you've been listening on Patreon, it's a couple of weeks until Christmas. So why are the public people not on Patreon? Um, Patreon. Yeah. So get over that, even though we've been taking a holiday recently. But uh, cheers for your support and cheers for listening, guys. We will speak to you in the new year. Take it easy. Ho, ho, ho. Colin, I personally don't think there's anybody still listening and if they are, they're pretty hardcore long-term memory fans and I would be expecting them to go and sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wrong-term memory or by clicking the link in the show notes. Absolutely, and if for whatever reason they can't do that and paying for content isn't their bag, they can still offer us continual support by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. (laughs) 